Well, the church is back today. Um, if you're new here today for the first time, and if you haven't been here last week, we announced it that our auditorium is under renovation downstairs, so we are making some quick changes. So that's why we have this temporary setup. Stay with us for another week or two. We'll go downstairs in our new auditorium. Um, so my name is Dina, and I'm the assistant pastor in the church. Ruben and Gabby, who spoke here, they're senior pastors. Um, first, I want to say you're very welcome. I'm sorry, I didn't say that if you're new here today. Um, and I'm, wear, I'm wearing a, um, a jacket or a sweatshirt because people are saying, are you going to preach with that? And I, I feel a little offended. So if you're upset that I'm preaching with my jacket on, sorry about that. Because it, it's really cold, guys. I, I know... <laughs> We have people from Denmark and uh, from Stockholm, from Boston, from US, and they're coming in shots, and uh, I'm fully packed. So I'm from India, where we have like 40 degrees all the time. So um, yeah, so who went for this hike yesterday? We had a bunch of people went for the hike. Look at them. You guys did hike 10 kilometers? Yeah, they're... They're clapping for themselves. No, uh, I didn't ask. Uh, I was wondering why they did that. You know, like it was a, it was a Saturday. You could have your hot cappuccino and stay home, but they decided to climb the mountain. So, very good job, guys. I'm very happy for you. Um, as you can see, we are different kinds of people in church. We have introverts, extroverts, people who love outdoors, people who love indoors, and uh, people from different parts of culture, different countries, different continents. If you see around, uh, we have people from everywhere. And Ruben created, started a sermon series called Fearless. Um, and this is an emotion that we all share from wherever you are, whatever upbringing you are from, whatever social, economical conditions you are in, we always feel fear, right? Just the moment when the baby is born, it's starting to cry. And the baby is not crying because it's sad or it has some bad past or whatever. He just cries because it's new to them. It's, it's unforeseen. It wasn't, where's the walls? Where is the water? You know, I was comfortable before. Now I'm in this new environment and it starts fearing. And Ruben opened this sermon series last week uh, Fearless, and he was telling the story of Gideon, how God calls Gideon to liberate the people at the time, and Gideon was not one of the best. He was really um, a timid guy. He's not very courageous, but God calls him, and then he equips him to be courageous, and God calls people who are fearful, who had a difficult past, and they brings them out to walk in faith, to step in faith to do something great for him. And God does it all the time. And, and when Reuben demonstrated this in a really beautiful way, and I'm thinking, you said it all. Like, why is this a sermon series? What else I'm gonna add now? So I even asked Reuben, like Reuben, you, I think you covered everything. Maybe we should do something else. Um, but then Reuben said, oh no, keep, keep reading about it. You will find more. And then I, when I started reading and researching this topic, I'm completely wrong. This fear, this emotion is so uh, covered so extensively in the scriptures. Every page you, you see, the stories, the stories, 
people are afraid, people are sad, people are worried, or people are um, dismayed and hopeless all the time. And do you know the most repeated command in the Bible? Love others, go to church, right? No, it, it's, it's fear not. It is, don't be afraid, be happy, be joyful. Blessed is, is another word they use. And that's the most repeated comment in the Bible because God knows the most common, complicated emotions for human is being afraid, being fearful. We are mostly fearful a lot of times. But before I go in, you know the story of Joshua, right? Joshua is a very brave warrior. He, he was following up after Moses. Moses was leading the Israelites. And then Moses was about to die, and he said, passes a baton to Joshua, saying, hey, you take care of it. And then Joshua was supposed to be a warrior. He was always standing up for God. He was like killing the enemies, and he was doing all the good stuff. There was no bad repo for Joshua. And between chapter of Deuteronomy 31, within like next three chapters before Joshua 1, it is at least seven times it's repeated, fear not. Be strong, be courageous. And I was wondering why. I mean, this guy is a courageous guy. This guy is a strong guy. He doesn't need that kind of advice. Maybe give a different advice. But no, we are fearful. Even the courageous and strong, emotionally very strong people in us are afraid or anxious at one point of time. But that is not God's plan for us. God does not create us, God does not save us so we can fear or live anxiously throughout our life. So how can we have this joy? How can we find peace? How can we uh, break away from this fear in midst of our circumstances, in midst of suffering? See, now we established fear is a common emotion everyone has. And we also established Bible repeatedly advises us, repeatedly helps us, encourages us not to be afraid. Right? So we're going to open up the scripture and to find out how we can do that and what, what are the difficulties and what, what are the steps that we can take to break away from fear. So let's open up the scriptures to Psalms. By the way, Psalms are really cool. I don't know what else, I, I don't know the adjectives, how can I put it. It is an emotional poems, emotional prayers. If people say, well, Bible is a book of rules, it's just, just do's and don'ts. Ask them to read Psalms and you can see all the emotional feelings and people will feel like, oh, we are in our 20, 21st century. We are, we are the ones who are respecting emotions and expressing emotions. You have to read Psalms. Uh, God expressed, God let the people express their fear, anxiety, anger throughout their prayers and it was recorded in the scriptures. So let's open to Psalms chapter 3. A Psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. 
I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. This is the word of God. So, give you some context on the story. Uh, so, David was a king of Israel. And he was ruling. Everything was going well. And when David writes his psalm, and, and the psalm starts with saying this, if you go back to the previous slide, it says, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So his son Absalom, what he's, he started a little conspiracy within the kingdom. And he gathered the people. He tried to deceive few people within the kingdom. And he tried to deceive the people within uh, the peasants. So he deceived everyone and he wanted to take over David's kingdom. So David came to know about it. And the only option he asked is to leave Jerusalem, is to leave the kingdom and run away for his life. Or else the army is going to come, they're going to kill David and they're going to take away forcefully. So what he does is David leaves his own kingdom, his own throne, his own country, and he leaves away. And he writes in verse 1, it says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? So before we dive in, I want to ask some questions. And I, and I see everyone's eyes here because it's not an auditorium, so it's very bright. Uh, is it a real danger that David is facing? Yes? Yeah, it's not something he's imagining, it's real. Was it scary? When tens and thousands are trying to kill him? Yeah? Is it, can we say, well, makes sense, he, he, he has to leave, yeah? He has to leave, because he has to do something, because people are trying to come to kill him, so he has to leave the site. So, I want to try to explain very carefully. So, there is a constructive kind of fear that we can all have, right? I'm not going to say, oh, fear, if you, if you fear you are not godly, that is not what I'm saying. So there's a constructive kind of fear, which is very specific, which is for a particular reason, and the danger is imminent, and it calls you for action. It galvanizes you for action, right? Let me give you an example. I see Jode coming here. So I was, Jode has a baby. It's her name is Baby Cohen. And Pedro, where is Pedro? Babysitting Baby Cohen. So I was watching Cohen the other day uh, on the steps. So I was, uh, those two are upstairs, they were doing something, and I was having my coffee with one hand, and I was watching Cohen. So Cohen is, is one year old, by the way. He is climbing the stairs, crawling and climbing, and I was watching. I'm making eye contact with him, right? It's not like I'm turning away, I'm, I'm watching him right then. He climbs four steps, I'm like, wow, he, this kid is good. He's learning to climb. Moment of a second, he just turned back, and he just thought it's fun to just go like this. All the way, I, my heart just stopped to beat. Like I was having my coffee in one hand, I just jumped and grabbed him, and then I, I, I lifted him like upside down, and then put him back like that. I didn't tell his parents. This is the first time. They knew him. So I, I guess I'm banned from babysitting him anymore. You know what happened at the time? I was afraid. I was afraid of hurting him. I was afraid of maybe he's going to get a scar on his face forever. 
or I was afraid of Jodit killing me after I do that. But I was afraid, right? That fear actually galvanized me. My, um, my autonomic nervous system opened up and then my senses were heightened and I quickly reacted to do something. Yeah. So a fear that galvanizes your action, the fear that makes you do something, it's usually we handle it pretty well. We, we all have that kind of fear which comes uh, and you handle it pretty well. But there is another deep kind of fear uh, that actually makes you, which debilitates you, which makes you just go down and do nothing about it. And for a lack of better words, I'm going to call it as anxiety. Okay? And I know we have some psychology majors, don't sue me on that. But in our modern times, we use the name anxiety. We, we are anxious about something. So this anxiety fear, it's not very specific kind of fear. It's very generalized. It's very diffused. You cannot actually point out one thing that I'm afraid of. It's usually like everywhere. So, and usually it's connected to the constructive fear as well. Let me give you another example. If you are crossing this road in Portugal, if you're new to Portugal, very be careful crossing the road. Cars don't slow down, even if you're walking on the zebra crossing. So we, when you're crossing on the crossing and then you see a speeding car really fast coming towards you, what do you do? You either come back or walk fast, cross the road and complete the crossing, right? That is fear. So that you are afraid, ah, I'm going to protect myself and I went away. So the next day you come to the same crossing, you start to see the sense of fear, the sense of anxiety in that same place. And then every time you cross and you're going to have the same kind of fear, the same kind of anxiety. And this is the deep kind of fear that I'm talking about. It's not really there. It's not... Well, it's there in a sense from the past or from, from your from your trauma that you had. But this anxiety debilitates you. It, it makes you like, I never want to cross the road again or I never want to go back to work again. And, and this, I'm just giving an easy example for crossing the road, but it can apply for your financial situation. You can apply for your job. You can apply for your studies. And I've heard people, every time they try to study at exam night, they just feel super anxious. It is one thing to be afraid or fearful and study well, but there's another thing to be anxious and just, I can't even study because I'm getting anxious about it. And that's the fear I'm going to talk about today. The fear that debilitates you, the fear that limits you, the fear that puts you away from God, the fear that actually <laughs> makes your life harder, guys. So especially when this autonomic nervous system and your, your flight, flight mode response is always on, it's like you're all your senses are high, your heart is beating all the time, you're always anxious, you're shaking, and that is not a healthy living. And we all agree with that. And how do we break away from there? Let's look at the scriptures and see what David is doing here. Uh, if you can go to the next one, how do we break away from fear? The first one I want to teach is pray your fears. Uh, the thing David is doing here in this chapter, he is praying. And religion, or I don't know, people are from different parts of the world and you, you learn different things. Usually it's the eastern part of culture where our very religious religiosity, we usually say that, oh no, no, you cannot express your emotions. You can't express your fear, stuff them, be a man, man up, don't talk about your fears. 
don't wind about your figure, fears, deny them, and they will go away. And then when you come to this, maybe a Western side or a more secular part of the world, they say, no, it's all about expressing your fear. Express it to everyone, be open to everyone, tell them, be proud of them. See, the one approach is more like being under aware of your fear, more like suppressing your fear, more like sub, uh, just denying them. The other approach is more bowing to them, expressing them all the time. It's all about that. That's what defines you. But that's what Psalms doing here. Psalms are telling you, don't deny your emotions and don't bow down to your emotions, but pray your emotions. Pray it back to God. And when they say pray, again, different culture here. I, I, I'm not telling you a well-written liturgy or a perfectly articulated prayer or a perfectly written, theologically accurate prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a prayer where you can pour your heart out to God, where you pre-reflectively just tell whatever you have to God. God, I am so afraid of the situations. I am, however silly it may sound, God, I'm so scared. God, I feel like I need a hug. God, I feel like I need someone. And if you look at all over Psalms, and you can find theologically incorrect statements everywhere. Right? See, even in this, in this uh, Psalm, it says, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Well, David, you should love your enemies. What's going on here? <laughs> you see what's going on here? He's, he's be honest with God. He just prays what he's feeling about. And especially if you're, if you're going through something, if you're anxious about something, the first thing to get out of the pit is to pouring it out to God. God, look, this is my situation. I'm completely scared. I'm scared about this. I'm scared about that. I'm anxious about my life. I'm anxious about my finances, my family, my health. Take it all to God. And, and Paul writes, writes in Philippians from prison. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And we need to realize God is not a concept. God is not an idea. He's a real person. He's a real being who we can talk to. And I, I remember once I was talking to a friend and, and, and the friend was explaining me what's going on in her life and all the situations and how things are really hard, how anxiety just overtakes her all the time. And my mind always wants to find solutions, right? Like, I don't know if it's a male mindset or what. I, I, want, I want solutions. Let, let me think about how can I fix your problems. And I'm already thinking, but I couldn't come up with anything. Because this is real like struggles that she's having. And I, I'm like, Ooh, okay, I'll pray. So after like 30 minutes of conversation, I felt like, ah, she's going to think this is a waste of meeting. And she said, no, thank you so much for listening. I feel better now. Uh, uh, how do you feel better? Like nothing changed from 30 minutes ago to now. But just sharing with your friend or just sharing with someone who cares for you already changes you. Imagine sharing with, with someone who completely loves you and completely all-powerful, completely all-sovereign, who has the control over all your situations, who has control over all yourself, and then pouring your heart to him.
So that is your first step if today is when you go home or when you're starting this week, have a practice of pouring it to God, whatever you're going through. And that is the first step out of the pit. And the second one, which we're going to spend a little bit more time is, remember who you are. And it's a very critical step and, and it, it takes, it is hard for me to say for someone who is really anxious and struggling at the time, try to remember who you are. It's hard. And people, when you're really going through something, it's hard to even think. It's hard to even think straight. It's hard to even think uh, rational, right? Because you're hearing all these voices in your head. It's, it's maybe from the devil or from the lies and from, from yourself. And you are listening to all these things to put you down and saying, okay, I can't do anything. This is me. I got accepted. I got to accept my defeat. And during these times, you can only do either, either one of the things. One, either you can listen to your heart or you can speak back to your heart. You can't do both. When you are listening to your heart, you can't speak. When you are speaking, you are not listening. So when you are going through these struggles, when you are by yourself, when all these voices just come in, you know what? psalmist does he he speaks back to himself have you seen it let's let's take to psalms 42 very famous verse 42 verse 5 why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in god for i will yet praise him my savior and my god so this is psalmist speaking to himself what is he doing He's not trying to, okay, I also want to be careful. He's not doing a self-motivational talk here, right? He's not doing, you can do it, oh, let's do it. It's not like a self-confidence swagger that is happening. He's saying he's reminding himself of what is the right thing to do. He's reminding himself that who he is in God. He has a God who he can put his trust on, who he can put his hope on, and who is the Savior, who is his God. And let's go back to the main passage here that we are studying today. So David is in this crisis of running away from home, or running away from Jerusalem, and then he's, he's hiding in, in some hills. People are making fun of him. People are cursing him throughout the way. And you can read that story back in 2 Samuel 15 if you want to. And, and here David is not just going through a, a real physical danger, which is true. That is a real physical danger. But you know what else is happening here? If, if I want to ask you, who is David? What are you going to say? Who is David? King of Israel. King of Israel. Not anymore. Now he's running away. <laughs> what else we got? He has a good family. No, not anymore. He's very close to God. Well, not anymore. Because people are saying in verse 2... Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. They're not saying that God is bad and I'm, I'm, we are a different God. No, they're saying God will not deliver David. You know why? If you look at David's history back, he, two, three chapters ago, he just committed adultery with Bathsheba. He just killed someone and he slept with his wife. It's not, he, has, he doesn't have a good record. He just messed up. He was really bad. So people are saying God will not deliver him. And, and David is what he's going through here. He, he, was, he's, he was a king and he was famous. He has all the power, all the army. Now he's got nothing. 
and he's running away from everyone. And David is, what he's feeling is, is an identity crisis. So people are not just attacking him physically, they're attacking his character, they're attacking his calling. They're saying, are you sure God is going to help you? And here David is feeling this deeper kind of fear that is insecure about what people are talking about him. He's insecure of who he is. And if we go back, when you feel afraid or uh, anxious about things or exams or job interviews or anything that um, you name it, and if you, most of your fears and anxieties are always rooted into your insecurities. Just follow your thread along and see where your anxious anxieties are really situated in, it's usually rooted in your insecurities. It's usually rooted in a place where you get your glory from, which means where you get your identity from, where you get your approval from. Whatever makes you feel valued, whatever makes you feel worthy, and whatever makes you feel you are in control. And this could be a standard that you set for yourself, or this could be a standard set by the society. Hey, if you're turning 28, you should be married by now, have two kids. You know, they have the standard set for society and people have their own standards set for themselves. And when you don't meet the standards, you start to get anxious. You start to get worried. And I was talking to a, another friend this week while I was preparing the sermon. Um, and I don't know if I can share this, but I'm gonna do <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, so she was saying that she was really anxious before the exams, right? And and it was extreme anxiety where she her heart's pounding, hands shaking, sweating. She can't study at all. And for me, it's I'm I'm not I, I don't feel anxiety about exams. So I felt like okay, can I can we talk? I, I want I want to I want to know why it's going on. Can we follow your fear towards the thread and see? I, I want to see what, where it, where it leads to. So I asked her, okay, why are you afraid of the exams? And she goes, what if I fail? Fear? It's a good, good fear. What happens when you fear? fail? Well, I'll, I'll miss the class, okay? I gotta retake the class, okay? What happens next? Well, my semester is gonna get delayed. Make sense? What happens next? My thesis will get delayed. Make sense? Next, my graduation is postponed. Next, well, my life is pushed away for a year and a half. Makes sense again. Next. And then I'll feel like a failure. And then I say, stop. Well, so far it makes, you can very clearly say, who told you that it would be a failure if you finish one year later? No, but my friends all will graduate and I'll be here alone. Oh wait, now you're comparing yourself, your standard with other people's standard. You see what's going on here? So initially the fear was very specific about exams and graduations. But underneath the actual fear, there's another deeper sense of fear that's very diffused where you get your identity from, where you think you are worthy when you do this, this, and that. And see, all these goals are good. Being a good student is good. Trying to ace an exam is good. Being financially responsible is good. Finding a good job is good. Getting married, godly desire. Having kids, godly desire. Traveling. I'm going to consider that as a godly desire, although I don't travel much. You, you do all these things, all good, but what happens is when these desires and achievements is what defines you, 
That's where the problem is, right? So when you define these are things that I'm going to look forward to, to get my approval from, these are things I, I consider that makes me who I am, makes me lift my head up, then when these things are taken away from you, you will be devastated. And these things are in space and time. These are not infinite things. These are finite things. These can be taken away from you. You will have sickness the night before your exam and you're going to fail the class. And what then? And, and even the worst part is, I've, I've, I've spoke to people who are financially successful, who have a good source of income, who has a good plan for the next two years, who have a good family, who has good kids and everything that's coming along the way. I would say that's like a perfect American dream there. And they're anxious. And I go, why are you anxious? And I think about it because they still have their identity from these things. So they were worried what happens when they were taken away, even though they are not taken away yet. Every time you put your, your hope, your, your identity, your worth on something that could be taken away or your security, you will be anxious. You will be anxious because you are always thinking about it. And, and David was similarly, I, I'm, I'm, I can imagine David was, he was a king, he has all the power, people love him, people think he's God's close friend, and they're thinking all these things, and maybe David is at a point where he felt like, ah, oh, that's my identity. Who's David? I'm God's friend. I'm, I'm the king. And in verse 3, David realizes this, I'm, I'm going to guess, because he uses the word but. He says, but, but, you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. He's saying, God, you are my security. You are my shield. You are my glory. And you are the one who lifts my head high. And it's a very common term, right? When you lift your head high, you are proud. And when you put your head down, you are, you are ashamed or you are shameful. And he's saying, not my position, not my position in the society, not my, not my power, not my army, not my family, but in our modern terms, not your college education or not your, your bank account or not your looks, not your social media followers, it's not the one that's lifting your head up high. The one thing that lifts your head up is God. And when you move your your identity from all these things that can be taken away to the, the one thing that can never be taken away, then you won't feel anxious, anxiety again. God is the one who lifts my head and he says, chin up, my dear. Don't put your head down. I'm proud of you. Do you know that is the only voice that matters? You, usually they say, you, you want to hear that from the person who you love the most, right? And they say, I'm really proud of you. And you feel so worthy. Like this, it's usually some, for some people from, from their father or from, a, from their spouse, and they feel happy. And God is saying, who, who created you, and he's saying, I am proud of you. My dear brothers and sisters, remember who you are in Christ. You don't have to live anxiously setting some standards for yourself, 
trying to meet so you can feel worthy again. No, you go live joyfully without trying to impress anyone because you're already impressed. God, God told God, you was impressed by God when He created you, and He saved you through Christ. Well, you say, Dina, well, I get all that thing, okay? You see, relocate your glory, but now, what, how, how do I know that God will be a shield of me? I'm, I'm a pretty bad person. The situation I'm in, it's my responsibility. I moved from another country to Portugal to find us a stable income and life, and it's not working out for me. I'm struggling. Maybe it's because of my sin. It's maybe because of my bad decisions I made in the last, uh, in the past. How come God is still will be a shield around me if I messed up by myself? Well, I want to introduce the third one is look on his, look at his promises. So what David is doing here, and, and I want to show this in, in Bible is very interconnected. It's interconnected through and throughout. So what is David is using a hyperlink from Genesis 15. So David is saying here. You are a shield around me, my glory, the, the one who lifts my head high. And there's another place in the Bible where the same thing was used for Abraham. When he was actually afraid and anxious, when he don't have any kids, when he was, God was saying, well, I'm going to make you a big nation. So God said, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. I'm your glory. Another word in Hebrew. This is a very similar promise that God gave Abraham that David is quoting. David is remembering the promise that was given to his forefathers. And you and me can ask, well, it's cool, but how do I know that? How, how can I trust this? And guess what? Abraham asked the same question. In verse 8, he says, How do I how can I know that I will gain possession of it? God said, well, I'm going to do this. And he says, how do I know? And, and God even addresses this question. He's not saying, oh, how dare you question me? You human and God. He didn't say that. He makes a covenant with Abraham. So what is a covenant? So covenant is more like an agreement. It's like a contract between two parties. right? You make your terms and I make my terms. And we sign the contract together in a paper. And we have your stamp, whatever, and be done. So I fulfill my contract and you fulfill your contract. If I don't fulfill, the contract will be nullified. And the other guy don't have to pay me, etc., etc. We know in modern terms. In those terms, they don't have that. So in those days, they have covenants. So the way the covenant works is, if me and Don makes a covenant, I'm saying, Don, you give me 5,000 euros and I will give you, you'll get you a new guitar because he loves guitar. And he, before he gives me the money, we have to make a covenant. You know, in, in the old days, what they do is they cut up animals and they put in two pieces on each side and both of us has to walk around and say what our contract obligations are. So I'm gonna say, put my sacrifice, I say, well, I'll get you a guitar. And he will say, I will buy, I'll give you 5,000 euros, yeah? Pretty simple, yeah? So the, the reason they do it is they're living out the curse. If they don't do it, they will be cut into pieces like these animals. We need to do contracts like that. These days. 
they told me the construction will be done in two weeks. So I'm not sure about that. So, and God makes a contract just like that with, with Abraham. God doesn't need to do that. God doesn't need to make a blood covenant. He makes a covenant with Abraham. So God says, okay, you, you want to know how? Let's make a promise. Get animals. Put the animals on both sides. Let's walk around. So Abraham puts the animals on both sides. And you know what happens here? Read, if, you go, if you have time, go home and read Genesis 15. It's one of the most important chapters in the Bible. So what happens is, Abraham, God puts Abraham to sleep. So he put Abraham to sleep. And God, he puts Abraham to sleep. And he walks around the sacrifice. Or not sacrifice, around the animals. So God comes in this theophany with, with, uh, with a, as a flaming torch. As a, as a way he came in burning bush, right? That's a similar theophany in the Old Testament. You can't see God. So he passes through those animals when Abraham was sleeping. You know what didn't happen? Abraham never walked through those animals. That covenant was supposed to be two-way. But Abraham didn't do it. Only God did it. But God didn't let Abraham do it because he knows he's going to fail. He knows he's going to break. I was just looking up this morning, chapter 15, and turned to chapter 16, and that's when Abraham sleeps with Hagar. Right after the next chapter, after this covenant. So God knows that Abraham will fail, but he still makes a covenant with him as unilateral covenant. One way promise. Like, I'm going to promise you anyway. You're going to fail. You're not going to keep your terms of the contract. You're not going to keep your terms of your covenant. But I'm going to do it anyway. God's covenant is not based on how well you perform, how well you made your decisions, how well you, your moral record is, how, how many times you went to church. No, his covenant is based on who he is. Which is, he's an unchanging God who will never change. You know what that means? His covenant will not change because he will not change. My dear church, God knows your weaknesses. He knows your burdens. He knows your anxieties. He knows your insecurities. He's still calling you today and making a promise with you. And he wants to make a covenant with you. That he will be a shield around you. He will be your glory. He will be your identity. To not put your head down. Don't be weighed down by expectations from people. Look at his promises. Look at the covenant of God. Again, this is a story from the Bible from 3,500 years ago that happened. How, how, how can I apply for me? How do I know God made a covenant with me? Well, in Abraham's story, God came down when the darkness came. God came down as a flaming torch. 2,000 years after that, God came down again. And this time as Jesus Christ to demonstrate his love for you and me. And just like those animals was torn in pieces, Jesus was torn in pieces. Was indeed, he's the one who was making a covenant with himself. 
when you and me didn't make the didn't fulfill our contract with God, fulfill our side of obligations, Jesus fulfilled it for you completely. There's nothing more you should, you can do to impress God. There's nothing more you can do to like earn His love from God. Jesus fulfilled it completely. And he's the one who was torn in pieces. And all you need is to have faith to enter this covenant. And this covenant is open for everyone who believes. And if you're thinking, I have so much going on in life, I have so much heaviness, I have so much suffering in life, so I'm anxious and, and this is, I can't get away from it. This is, there's no, there's no, it's dead end. There's no solution to it. And, and I sympathize with you. I, 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 I can sympathize how you feel. I, I, can, I can only imagine the things that you're going through because I'm not going through. I know people who lose sleep over things and, and they suffer from insomnia and different, different things. I, I, I get that. But all I can say is any problem you're facing, any situation you're facing, anything that you're facing, nothing is bigger than the grave of Jesus Christ. And if you're asking, do I have any hope on the other side of the dead end? Do I have any hope on the other side of the grave? The answer is yes, you have hope. You know why? Because Jesus was risen from the grave. He didn't stay there. He, he, he didn't have a dead end. Yes, it looks like a dead end, but he came out of it. You can resurrect from your dead end. You can resurrect from your situation, whatever you are going through. So there is no reason for you and me to be anxious living thinking what's on the other side you know what's on the other side other side is life you have hope you have peace in jesus and this is the same jesus who tells you come to me all you are weary and burdened and i will give you rest i will give you rest and that's a covenant that's a promise he's making with you if you come to me i will give you rest i will take your anxieties take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you want rest, if you want a, a life without anxiety, if you want to just feel peace, you have to come to Jesus. You have to pour your heart to God. You have to remember who you are in Christ. And you can be free of anxiety. And I... I I understand different complex levels of this, but one thing I can say is don't accept the situation. Don't say, this is me, who I am, I gotta live with this. No, God can heal you. God can get you out of your anxieties. God can get you out of your fear. Believe that, have faith, and God can do that. And you know what, how this psalm ends? Psalmist says right after that, and I think verse five and six, it says, I lie down and sleep. I wake a king. You know why? Because the Lord sustains me. Not because I'm a king, not because I have money, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. You want to get to the point? You have to put your burdens on Jesus. Where you can say, I don't mind. Give me. I can take it. You can take it. And, and and Christianity, I I we we in our we have several sermons we talked about suffering, right? We we 
Christianity is not free from suffering. We are in this world. We are living in this world. God didn't promise you like you have no suffering in the world. He said you will have suffering in this world, but you will overcome it because I have overcome it. And and most of the promises, we're going to invite the worship team, and most of the promises when they say do not fear, don't be afraid, is always attached to a promise after. It says don't be afraid for I'm with you. Fear not for I'm with you. So church, as we pray again, I would like to like us to stand together as we close the sermon. I want us to close our eyes and, and join me in prayer. God, help us, God. God, help us to pour your, our hearts to you. God, help us to create a habit of doing that. We, sometimes we don't do that, God. Sometimes we pour our heart to everyone. We pour our heart all around, on social media, on people, on everywhere we meet, but we don't come to you. God, help us to do that. Help us to sh show the peace and rest that you have in your presence for us. Help us to realize that you're a real person, like our friend or our parents or, or anyone else. You are there waiting for us to come and pour our heart. God, help us to remember who you are. And help us to remember who we are in you. God, you are a covenant-keeping God. Whatever it takes. Even if that means you have to get torn up on the cross for us. You keep your covenant. God, when we are anxious, waking up four in the morning, thinking about things, couldn't go back to sleep, sweating. God, help us. Remind us your promises. Remind us who you are. God, help us to enjoy this freedom. And help us to realize we are not slave to sin anymore. We are not slave to fear anymore. We are the sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. Who is proud of us. Who is telling us to lift your heads up in pride. Because I got you. I covered your sins. I got you. God, help us to realize that. Help us to internalize that. Help us to be still. Help us to look for you. God, for those of us who, even with all these information, for those of us who still suffer, who still going to God, we sympathize with them. We pray for them. God, help them. Give them strength. Walk with them. God, you are a patient God. You are slow to anger. Bring them closer to you. Bring them back into their community. Help us to help them. Help us to help them. God, I want to lift our family back to you. All of us here. God, let your peace of God, the peace that not like the world gives, the peace from you, overtake, let that overtake us in our hearts and our lives over the week and every time after 
God, take hold of our lives. You take control. You be our identity. You be our value. You be our security. And you be our shield. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.